Lord Jesus, pour out your spirit and meet us now, we pray. Amen. Amen. may be seated, friends. Why did it need to be this way? So little ease, so little peace, so little breathing room, if you will, for Mary and for Joseph. They're so uncomfortable. They've been forced into situations that embarrassed them. They made them easy targets for people who don't have the sole resources to be compassionate or to give the benefit of the doubt. It's just so unseemly. And so I can't put my finger on the right words. It's just so unseemly. I mean, they have to depend on the kindness of strangers. I mean, if, if you are going to write God into history and life, is this the way we would do it? Is this the way we would write God in? Unknown people. People in a place of no renown. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Let's make sure you can find that little spot on the map. Because it's not, it's not known. It's not popular. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Mary. Excuse me, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. A real inconvenience for Mary is an understatement. It's even dangerous for Mary that the Spirit of God comes upon her before they are publicly married and she becomes pregnant. It's certainly an inconvenience for Joseph, the Caesar, sitting in Rome so far away, no Roman representative or imperial ruler wanting to have anything at all to do with that backwater of Palestine. What a mess it is. And there's the Caesar sitting in Rome, and he sends out his decree, and all the little peoples scatter. Great cost, dangerous, troublesome, inconvenient for a pregnant woman. But he wants everyone to know who pushes the buttons. He wants everyone to know who has the say-so. He wants everyone to know who's in charge and how things work. And then they get there. They get there, and you might hope then that all this would be done, and they could find a nice little B&B, and they could settle in and, you know, make the best of it. Maybe they can get a view of some nice mountain or something. But no, it just goes from inconvenient to absurd. There's no room. And so they're put back in the manger, which may well have actually been a cave. It may have been a place for the animals in this craggy, rocky place in a cave back in the earth. And in the same region, there are shepherds out in the field, and they're just doing their thing, but they're doing it at night, and the angel comes to them. And who would pick shepherds to be the first witnesses, the first public witnesses of God entering into life? We think of shepherds through the bucolic lenses, maybe of the romantic poets. Oh, what a lovely life, pastoral. Wouldn't it be nice to have no cares and just to be able to sit out in the wildflower, you know, laden fields under a shade tree and watch those cute fuzzy sheep, you know, meander about and eat and play and jump about and all that. That's not the way it was then. Being a shepherd was the job that people did when they didn't have any other options. This was a place where the lion and the bear both existed. I don't think we have that on the earth today a place where those two habitats overlap. 
It was stinky, it was dangerous, it was cold, it was dirty, and nobody wanted to do it. And who would pick them to be your first witnesses? But no surprise, friends, God knew what he was doing. God knew what he was doing. He's setting up the pieces even from the very beginning. He's putting in place, even from the very beginning, the pieces that Jesus, in his life and work and voice and teaching and ministry and in the community that would believe in him and follow him, he's setting up, in the very beginning, the pieces that would make up the DNA, if you will, of what that work would be and what that community would be. Jesus, born of dubious parentage, later it'll be thrown at him as an insult in one of his public debates with the Pharisees. Yes, because Jesus would represent the healing of the image of God made in us, and he would touch the untouchable, and he would speak to and deal with and interact and take seriously the ones that no one else would take seriously. And his work and his ministry was based on each and every one of us being made in the image of God. Born into possibly a cave, I just, I just, I gotta tell you, I so wanna get to glory and find out it was a cave. I so, I mean, this is nice and I'll take it, I'm not against it, but I just wanna get up there and find out it was in fact a cave. Because think about it, the original Adam was made of the dust of the earth. As a matter of fact, Adam is just the Hebrew word that basically means the dust. And Jesus is the second Adam. He's the second one. He's the one who comes to fulfill what was lost in our primal foreparent. And he represents each and every one of us. He is the human being remade. And if it was in fact a cave, you starting to connect the dots? Then he is sown into the earth, and he is a seed that sprouts out from the earth in Romans 8 fashion to renew all creation. I'm going to put my money on cave. I I believe it was a cave. How about that? I'm going with that. I think it was a cave. Shepherds, ridiculous first witnesses, People on the edge of society, scorned, dismissed. They're the ones who lost out. They are not excited if they live in a meritocratic subspot of our culture like the North Shore. Because it's in front of them all the time that they didn't make it. It's just, they just know. Everybody knows. Even if you don't insult them, they still know that they didn't make it, that they don't fit. But Jesus is going to teach that... In the kingdom of God, the first will be last and the last will be first. So right away, from the very first moment, the last are first. The last ones are the first ones to be the public witnesses. Hassled and harried and hurried about by the empire, it's the way we order life. We place efficiency over human connections and family connections and roots. We move where we're told to move. Maybe that's changing with virtual. We put wealth and power and security in a place of high importance. Some are lucky and they're born in. Some are not lucky and they're born out. And they spend their whole life trying to prove that they're worthy, that they count. 
Yet one day, the followers of Jesus are going to go about and they're going to proclaim in that ancient world, in that Roman world of Caesar, that Jesus is Lord. And we only know that as a religious sentiment. But in their world, that little bumper sticker they knew was subversive. You stick that on your donkey's rump and you're telling the whole world that Caesar is not Lord. And they knew it. They knew it. They knew how powerful that was. God enters history soon to be a displaced person. So far, it's been terribly inconvenient, at the least. It's been embarrassing. It's been unseemly. It's been somewhat dangerous. That is all just going to ratchet straight up through the roof. And he's going to be, and the, and the holy family, they're going to be displaced persons fleeing the violence of the jealous ruler. And they're going to be going down to Egypt. But Jesus' mission would reach out beyond all tribes to all peoples all over the world and every race and language and nation. And they would all come together in this amazing new family. Unknown people with regular lives from just their small place on earth. The angel Gabriel appears to a virgin who is betrothed to a man named Joseph who's of the house of David because he needs a lot of reference points. Who's in this small town of Galilee in Nazareth. Nazareth in Galilee. Because we need some reference points. We can't find this on the map. Right? Anybody here been to Paris? Kentucky? Right? Get it? How many, how many spots in Maine have... You know, there's a Dublin in Maine. It's not the first one you think of if you're asked if you've been to Dublin. God knows each and every one. Jesus will say that God knows even the numbers of hairs that are on your head. And that he is your father in heaven who cares for you. Jesus' audience was full of anonymous people. And yet... Jesus said, each and every one, fame or no fame, money or no money, power or no money, you're a person created in the image of God, needing to connect to the God who made you, who knows you, who loves you. Dependent on the kindness of others. The truth is, friends, we all are. We all are. One day the followers of this man will begin to form communities. And those communities will be based on faith, hope, and love. And the over-under power relationships of the Roman world won't decide how that community works. The separation of the male being on top and the female being under of the rich being on top and the poor being under of the of the of the. You know, the powerful one being on top and the servant being under of the Jew being on top and the Greek, the, the particular power relationships of their context will not be ignored. They will be overcome. That's, that's an important distinction. They will not be ignored and acted as if they aren't real. They will be overcome in a community of love. 
So, yes, actually. This is exactly the way it needed to be. This is exactly the way it needed for be, to be, for God to enter into history. Jesus was fully God, fully human, in one simple, not divided person. The human side, traditionally, we've understood, came from the Virgin Mary. The God side put together in wholeness in each of those, human and God, in wholeness in one person came from the Spirit. When God sows himself into history and walks among us, he does it in a way that is in fact, interrupting to us. He comes and and he pokes. He says, hey, I'm here. Hey, I love you. Hey, there is someone out there who's real and who wants to get into your life and with whom you can connect. He interrupts, but he doesn't insist. He doesn't impose himself. He doesn't push people. He comes and he gets here. In a sense, you might say it's organic, but it's also spiritual and real. And his plan is then to live as the human being was meant to be. To live as all that we were always meant to be. And to live the love that God has for us. And some hearts will be stirred and they will be broken by that love and they will be able to open up. And they will be able to tell their story and they will be able to share their pain and they will be able to let him in and to let down their guard. Some hearts will want to, but they'll struggle. And they'll be around the edge and sometimes he'll find them and that'll make amazing moments and we love those moments. Some hearts will see him and and they'll say no. And they will face the most dangerous moment they will ever face because they may harden themselves against the love that has entered the world. And they may then become recalcitrant and hardened forever. But he's going to love them. And he's going to be there living the life of the love of God and hoping that their hearts will be stirred and softened and opened up. And he's going to interrupt them with it. He's going to sometimes be really inconvenient with it. He's going to present them with hard choices, with facing up to things they might rather wish weren't true and didn't have to look at. But he's always going to be loving them. He's always going to be pushing into that space and hoping that they will open up. I don't know, friends, what you've brought with you tonight. I think we feel a burden, right? Is it just me? Do we feel a burden? Here it is. My, you know, golly, here it is. It's Christmas Eve. I've got to get in the zone. I've got to feel the Christmas spirit. I hope you do. I hope it's easy. I hope it's overcome you. I hope the wonder and the beauty and the joy are just, they're just flowing through you. Sometimes it's not that simple. Sometimes 
we've got loss, we have grief, we have hurt, we have pain, we have disappointment. Sometimes we've just been so crazy busy that all of a sudden come noon on the 24th of December, we're supposed to just turn it off and hit the Christmas zone. And it's just not that easy to do. Don't feel the burden to enter the Christmas spirit. Take a deep breath. Just tell Jesus in a minute when we go to pray, just tell him, here I am, here's what I bring. And realize that the Christmas spirit is the spirit of Jesus meeting you wherever you are because he knows and he feels it and he has walked it and he has experienced it and he's done it on purpose and he's done it for you to meet you in your heart. Let's go to prayer. Invite you to go to the cave. Invite you to go there and to to see him. That God has entered history in this incredibly inconvenient to himself way. That God has put himself in these embarrassing and these unseemly and these dangerous circumstances and that he'll keep on doing it his whole life here that God has been dependent on the kindness of others and he knows exactly what he's doing can you imagine him entering into your story in those same places for you